2020 is officially in the books and oh my word what a tournament that was and it had a very very proper ending welcome to total football club my name is alex perez i am joined as always by chris suede chris oh my goodness you joined me throughout this entire tournament and it's over i'm sad i'm having withdrawals already how are you feeling about this month long party that was euro 2020 yeah, I feel the same, man. I feel like I'm, I miss it so much already. But we got the new season coming along soon, but it can't get here soon enough. It was it was so much drama. It was so much that happened. I feel like everybody grew together. And then we saw, like, the ugliness at the end with all the racism. It's, like, it's so crazy. It's just such it's such a wide range of emotions. But it was very, very mem- a very memorable tournament, I would say. Absolutely. And let let me just start off by asking you this, because I I really don't know what to make of it yet. I don't want to I don't want recency bias to be to be a factor in my decision. Is this the best tournament, the best international tournament that you have ever watched? Oh, man. There, there's a few. I mean, the the the. This, the one in South Africa really stands out for me because it was the first one that I really saw from beginning to end. And, and mm-hmm. Spain really, they, they finally took their World Cup. Mm-hmm. And it was so emotional for so many different players. But yeah, it would, it's definitely up there for sure. It's definitely up there. There was so much drama. I mean, actual life-threatening situations in the, with, with Christian Eriksen. Not that that's a good thing, but like, how do you? How are you ever gonna forget that? You know, like I think everybody, all, all football is just gonna remember that moment. But then, so much good that happened after that, and even after that moment by his teammates and like the, the professionals, the, the medical professionals. But after that, the football was just really, really entertaining, and it, it wasn't in the form of the, the games that we were watching. It was just really competitive. I, th- I think that was what we really got from this tournament. Like every team was really in it except Turkey that we mentioned in the previous podcast. But <clears throat> so many teams were in it, and there were so many um, goals that, that from players that we really um, – we really some that we really – from players that we expected from, some from players that really uh, stood out and, and, and made, the name, no, made a name for themselves during this tournament. So it was, it was a fun ride. It was a very fun ride, at least for me. And a, a very emotional one, just like like you mentioned. To me, it's up there, just like you said. But the 2014 World Cup, it, it, for so many reasons, it's the best tournament that I have ever seen. Um, I, I, I am very confident that I watched at least 62 out of those 64 games. And like in full, like all 90 minutes, I watched 62 games easily so that one stands out for me but yeah euro 2020 some of the stuff that we saw some of the goals the the stars that broke out the 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 tragic events or something that could have been a real tragedy uh that happened and just like you said how can we ever forget those types of things 
but Euro 2020 was indeed very memorable. And let's talk about the final of this tournament, which that in itself was a very memorable game, or I would say a very memorable, memorable last 45 minutes and then uh, the the 30 minutes of extra time and the penalty shootout. All right. If you guys don't know, if you've been living under a rock, Italy, the European champions, Euro 2020 champions, they, they beat England at Wembley via penalty shootout. Um, just initial or, or just overall thoughts on on this game as a whole, Chris, what what did you make of, of this matchup in the final? So it, it, it's really tough for me to criticize uh, either of the teams. I think they both really played pretty, pretty decent football, very, very uh, strong football throughout the tournament. England in a different way from, from Italy. Italy <laughs> showing the possession base in the, in the attractive football and being on the forefront. And England just being very pragmatic and i think this this game was a, a kind of like a microcosm of that england got their goal early and you can make a case that that doomed them because they asked the, the they gareth southgate asked his asked his team to defend for 88 minutes and it's it was it was doomed from the start you can tell italy had way too much fight to, to just go out uh with no goals they, they were definitely going to get that equalizer because they were just going to keep pushing and keep pushing and Mancini was going to make the necessary adjustments if need be. And if you look at the stats, it's it shows it. They had 66% possession, 19 shots to England, six. I mean, it, it was really, they doubled the passes, total passes in the game. Like, Italy just played them out of the park. And, yeah, Italy doesn't score too many goals, but we've seen these type of, these type of results. This is why... We mentioned when they beat Belgium, when they beat, and they had the, their really tough test, uh, that, that it meant so much because it just showed that Italy has the grit. And we, we were waiting for it. I mean, it was tough to be a cynic and say it wasn't coming home. Everybody wanted it to go home for, for England. But, yeah, we, were, we kept saying Gareth Southgate's going to pay. He's going to pay for, for being pragmatic. He's going to pay for not utilizing the personnel right. And it happened. They, 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 yeah, they, they paid again. Well, they paid the highest price they could have paid, which was losing the final. Um, but I will say this about about a point that that you brought up early in in your in in, in what you were saying right now, which is that England pretty much doomed themselves by scoring early on, and that's always a theory that I had that an early goal will ruin a game. And it can ruin it in so many different ways. And, and for this case, ironically enough, it ruined it for the ones that actually scored it. But I want to talk about the sequence that actually was that first goal. Because it was such a quick transition. Italy was on the attack. And then all of a sudden, a, a long ball was was put to, I believe it was Kieran Trippier, who ended up... I, I, I don't really remember that part much, but I do remember that Luke Shaw's awareness was top notch he picked out that space in the second post where Giovanni Di Lorenzo had no idea that Luke Shaw was coming and he hit the ball first time Luke Shaw did and that that's a brilliant finish for a left back I mean he turned into Roberto Carlos for that split second which which that's that's a very very high praise but then again 
you said it best. They doomed themselves. They, they they had to they had to defend for 88 minutes. And I'm I'm not gonna sit here and say that they that they didn't do the right thing because in the preview show, I I mentioned that England is was supposed to be pragmatic in order to win this final. And I thought that for the most part they were doing a pretty good job in the first half. That's why it was so lackluster, because England on the attack and and in the entertainment aspect they've been very lackluster throughout the entire tournament but then Italy came back and and even even in in that first half the English were forcing Federico Chiesa out of positions and 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 he he wasn't having a really good game and then in the second half they turn it up like that Chiesa starts to get the ball he starts dribbling and to me where everything really changed for Italy was when Ciro Immobile was subbed off you play with Chiro Immobile, and I think this tournament has showed, you're playing with 10 men. He doesn't drop back. He is not very good in front of goal. So then what does he do good as a striker? He doesn't do many good things as a striker. And you take him off, you bring in uh, Berardi, and then that attacking just becomes free, that attack becomes free-flowing for Italy. And it, England no longer has a point of reference. Chiro Immobile was that point of reference, and they canceled him out easily. But then it was Chiesa coming in through the middle. Then it was Berardi. Then it was Insigne. So that really changed the dynamic of the game. It made Italy a, a little bit more unpredictable. And then, of course, Italy scored on a set piece. But it doesn't matter because those the, those corner or that corner was generated based on those movements that the that the front three of Italy was having. Um, that that's where I think the game completely changed, and and I think that Roberto Mancini, the the story of two managers, Roberto Mancini, excellent substitutions, Gareth Southgate, not so much. Um, should we just talk about Gareth, Gareth Southgate now and and the decisions that he made? Let's. I mean, I, I was I was thinking so starting Mount, and I love Mason Mount. Everybody knows this. If you've been following this podcast, I'm a big Chelsea fan. Mm-hmm. Mason Mount is my boy. That's my guy. I would have played player. if I would have played him in this in this match. I would have played him in midfield yeah. as an attacking attacking midfielder. Um, he played him as a right winger, mm-hmm. and he brought he brought in Saka for him. Now it's fine. I guess in the in that scope, you can start Mount and Saka's a great sub to come in for him. But here's the thing and why I have a problem with it after I learned this stat. Bakayo Saka's never never taken a penalty in his professional career. Never taken a penalty, zero penalties. So if you if you think you're gonna go into extra time or you're going to go, there's a possibility of penalties against Italy, who you're probably, if you're going to set up the way he did, you probably, it is going to probably either be a low scoring match or you're going to be tied. Why wouldn't you start Saka and bring him out off the bench who has scored penalties for Chelsea in the league and, and in cup matches? I, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why he plays so scared, why he's so afraid to go for it. I did just, I don't know if they're going to win with him as manager. I don't. And it sucks because they just made it this far. But, like, man, he has to – he really has to go for it. And everybody's – I mean, it's it's not just me saying it. There's so many people who watch England and it's just like, how do you struggle in possession with the guys that you have? 
how yeah they 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 give it up they basically just give it up it's crazy yeah and let's just talk about about Saka's penalty um he's 19 years old right and you just mentioned something that I didn't even know he's never taken a penalty up until Sunday of course why is he your fifth choice why what listen if Bukayo Saka went up to Gareth Southgate and told him boss I want to take the fifth penalty you as a manager have to say no you cannot take that fifth penalty you cannot and you know what a great example is of protecting your youngster from taking a penalty Pedri being protected by Luis Enrique and not taking a single penalty against Switzerland or against Italy. He was there, but he didn't take a penalty. That's what Gareth Southgate should have done with Bukayo Saka. Now, of course, we can we can sound dramatic and exaggerated, but who knows? This might really alter the trajectory of his career. He already has to deal with playing for Arsenal, right? He has to deal with that already. He's he is the he stands out at Arsenal. And he has to deal with all of that. And now he goes with England and they put all of this pressure and responsibility on, on, on this poor kid. And he misses the penalty. I mean, of course he's gonna feel bad, and you can tell him it's okay, it's not your fault, but it's gonna mess with his head. Of course it's going to mess with his head because he's 19. He is a kid. He is a teenager. He yeah. he shouldn't have that responsibility. And that is all on Gareth Southgate. And I know you guys have probably heard these takes in other shows. But let's be honest. We all agree on that. Same thing with Sancho. Same thing with Rashford. You, they don't touch the ball in the entire minute that they came on for and then you expect them to come in and take a penalty as cool as you like? No, it's not going to happen. Even though Marcus Rashford is a very good penalty taker, so is Jaden Sancho. All three of those penalties were were executed quite poorly. And, I mean, you, <laughs> the pressure was immense. The pressure was immense for these guys, and, and it sucks because they're so young and you don't know what effects this miss is going to have on their mindset, on their mentality, on their confidence. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking earlier, I couldn't believe that Harry Kane didn't take the fifth penalty. I know he mm. took the first penalty, I believe, and he I, sank it. That's, that's a good he, choice. I think that's a good choice. You want to start off strong. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the point that was being made. It's like you do your captain usually starts off the, the penalty and goes first just to set the tone. Yeah. But I don't know. Part of me feels like the fifth penalty spot is so crucial. I, if it were me personally, I would have rather he stayed to the end. If everybody else basically doesn't have experience other than Rashford taking penalties, then I would have rather he had the decisive penalty but then i mean i i i understand why he went first but i just don't i i set the can't tone comprehend. as you said yeah yeah but i can't comprehend why why you send Saka out there fifth i can't mm-hmm. comprehend it i know sterling 
probably didn't want it because he gets abused for buying his mom a house. <laughs> like if he if he gets yeah. abused for anything and he missed a penalty, he'd probably be crucified out there in, in England. But someone has to someone else had to step up, man. It was just so cruel to watch. It, it felt bad, but then it it felt bad to watch. I felt for Saka specifically, but then. Seeing that the, the abuse that the, that that the England fans were doing, they don't deserve the win, honestly. And I think no. they, they, you've seen quite a few English fans say that themselves that the way their fans behaved before that match, during the match, after the match, they don't deserve anything. No, absolutely not. And listen, you can be upset, you can be disappointed, you can be mad, you can be whatever you want to be. But what does race have to do with anything here? It has nothing to do. And let's just remember that these guys are human at the end of the day. And they can read the stuff that you write. So it they, they definitely see it. And they're already going through a tough time as it is. You lose a final. It doesn't matter at what level. You lose a final, you're not going to be in a good mood. And then things like these happen. I mean, it's it's... It sucks. It really does. But if if anything, English people should be proud of this team because this, this was the first time in 55 years that they play a major tournament final. It wasn't David Beckham. It wasn't Michael Owen. It wasn't Wayne Rooney. It wasn't um, Alan Shearer. It, it wasn't uh, Gary Lineker. None of those guys. It was these 26 that were selected. And you can love them or hate them. But they have helped or or they have made a lot of English support. Listen, let's just put it this way. English supporters our age never seen an English team play either a Euro final or, well, no English fan has ever seen England play in a Euro final. But people our age have not seen them win. A major, a major tournament, or they've never seen them play in a final. The closest is a semifinal, and this is the group of players that took them all the way. And you mentioned something so interesting, where, and interesting and conflicting because you mentioned about well, you mentioned Gareth Southgate and how you think that with this manager, they're probably not going to win. It's hard to disagree, but at the same time. They made it to a World Cup semifinal with him, and they made it to a Euro final with him. Um, yeah. But but still, I completely understand where you're coming from, and for the most part, I agree. Yeah, he. I, I mean, I hope he, he he proves me wrong in that aspect. Like, it's not like I'm rooting against the guy. It's nothing personal. It's just mm-hmm. if he continues to make the decisions that he's made in the past, which is all I can go off of, is that he's going to try to be pragmatic and – it, it, it'll work to a certain extent. Someone's going to make you pay, and Italy made them pay. And in the future, it could be a France, it could be an older Bel- Belgium, it could be anyone who has that, that attacking flair, that attacking output that's, that can make them pay because they just, you can't win this way. Yeah. And, and Southgate, I don't know, man. I don't, if, he, if, he change, if he changes and, and utilizes, and, Feels a more attacking team, or, or changes the, the 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 style of the of the team. Then sure, they can win. I'm not saying it's because of who he is, but 
if if they continue if he continues to be the manager that he's been, I just can't see it. Do you really see him changing though? Do you see him changing from now to the World Cup in a few in a few months? I have no. I mean, it, 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 the 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 whispers got loud enough before the Ukraine game that he he did feel the attacking side. He shocked me because I didn't think that we were <laughs> yeah. going to see it all tournament, even against Ukraine. But I guess going against eight defensive outfield players made him, you know, force his hand a bit. But yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I hope he does for his sake and for England's sake. But for their fans, forget it. It, and I think we should also mention that it's it, it's a smaller part of the of the fan base, which of course it ruins it for everyone, right? That's almost how it works. Like like in school, when when one kid behaves bad, everyone gets punished. Um, and and yeah, like it's it, it's it's also it's also that. But uh, but yeah, those people. I, I mean, you they're not. They they can call themselves fans, but in reality, I mean, are they really fans? Are are you a fan if you if you racially abuse a guy that's representing your country? I don't, I don't know. Um, anything else you want to say about about England? Because I want to talk about Italy. I I, I think uh, that I want to talk about Italy too. Okay, let's talk it. about let yeah <laughs> let let's talk about Italy. Let's talk about Italy because I said this a few weeks ago. And I'm going to say it again. And I think it hits a little different now that they're European champions. But if there's ever an example of changing your football identity, changing your football philosophy, and doing it successfully, it's Italy. It is Italy. I talked about how they appointed Roberto Mancini. You can go back to, to the archives and you can listen to that. They did it so incredibly well that they went from not qualifying to Russia 2018 in November 2017 to winning the European Championship in July 2021. That is a very quick turnaround. And they did it so incredibly well. They were the most fun team to watch throughout the entire tournament. I'll be honest, I really didn't know much about the Italian team because I hadn't watched them much before this tournament. I just knew that Roberto Mancini was the manager and I was hearing that they were playing differently. So I'm like, okay, let's keep an eye out for them. And sure enough, I watched them against Turkey. They beat the crap out of Turkey. I watched them against Switzerland. They beat them bad. And they keep on doing that. And they showed different ways of winning. But one way that they didn't show was their old way. They always attacked on the front foot, taking the initiative. Completely opposite of what Italian football was before. Completely opposite of the Catenaccio that people so, so well, rightfully identified Italy with. Not so much anymore. But this Italian team changed their identity and they became European champions. And that is not a coincidence. Yeah, it's... It's very impressive what uh, Mancini was, has been able to do with the Italian national team. I'm trying to make sure that I'm reading this right, but I think he's undefeated as Italian national team coach. 
He probably uh, is because uh, he's yeah, been in charge been, for like three years. Yeah, they've been on. They were on an undefeated run before the tournament, and I don't think they lost the whole tournament. No. So yeah, I think they're. He's still undefeated, which is insane. I'm, like the guy just. He he, it, it, and you said if you want ever want to see a team that has changed their style, Gareth Southgate. If you ever want to see a team change their style and do it successfully, look at Italy. You can do it if you just have the the, the right guys, the right mentality to do it. So yeah, they 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 were so impressive. They have such a quality eleven, and then they have quality off the bench as well. We saw mm-hmm. a variety come off the bench. Uh, after certain, after a few games, and then once he moved into the starting lineup, you just move Manuel Lacatelli, who was essentially making a case to be the player of the tournament, go to the bench. Like man, it's just just a wealth of riches, and yeah. they have it all over the team. Um, Immobile, you could say, yeah, he, <laughs> he, he doesn't suit the team correctly. No. He, he his only his only time that he was at a truly big club was with Race Dortmund, and he bottomed out. But everywhere else, he can't stop scoring. I don't. I, that guy's always. I never figured him out. Also, I, I don't know what he does well. But yeah, other than him, if they if they put in Andrea Bellotti or any of the other strikers, or if they put in Berardi, like you said, they just look so so good. Anytime they have the ball, they look like they they're very creative, which is different for an Italy team. Um, like we're used to them being defensive stalwarts, but they still are. So yeah. It, they were really the pleasure of the, the tournament, I would say. Absolutely, they were definitely the pleasure, and I would I wouldn't say surprise, but they were definitely a joy to watch. Um, you were mentioning a, uh, Roberto Mancini's record with the Italian national team. He's not undefeated, but he's only lost two games in thirty nine. Oh, wow. So almost forty games, he's only lost two, and he's won. 28 so there's that there's that with a with a goal difference of plus 74 <laughs> 92 goals scored 18 conceded Th- that's that's scary that is incredibly scary that that if you if you want to see a well-balanced team a team that does everything good Italy is the team to watch and they, you can argue that they've done it without a huge superstar because Marco Baratti, yeah, he's a very good player, but he's not a superstar despite playing for PSG. Uh, you can look at anyone, even, I, I don't want to spoil it much, but even like Leonardo Spinazzola, to me, one of the best players in this tournament. He's not a superstar. Donnarumma, he might be a superstar. At, at at some point because Italy has this strange affection for goalies and but but he's not a superstar right now or before the tournament he wasn't they've done it without a superstar they've done it without a striker and here they are they 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 are european champions and the best part about it is that they are the deserving european champions from start to finish best team in the tournament and if you want to argue other teams, maybe, but Italy has the title that says that they're the best team in the tournament. Let me ask you, would you say that they're a favorite for the World Cup next year? They are a... Yeah, they're they're the favorite. I was going to say, like, they're up there. They're the favorite. Yes, they are. Yeah, I think so, too. 
it, it's so hard too. to argue against them. You might yeah. put England in there just because they made it this far and there's still hope because they're so talented. But Italy, if uh, here, let me just say this. There's one thing that does concern me about Italy. And you guys might, as soon as I say it, you might be like, what? why does it concern you? Or not. You might know exactly what I'm about, what, what I'm thinking. Something that really concerns me about this Italian team is that partnership between Chiellini and Bonucci. They are incredible. They are very good. They are, <laughs> Jose Mourinho said it a few years ago, that they should teach a class in college about defending because they're, they're that good. But they're not the youngest players. And I don't know much about Italian football. I'll, I'll try my hardest to learn more for this season coming up. But I don't, I, I can't think of any replacements for them. But to be fair, it's hard to, to replace guys that are generational talents, guys that are this, or guys that are all timers. It's hard to replace them. I don't, I don't know. May, Chris, you might know about a defender that I don't know about. Someone listening might know about an Italian defender that I don't know about. But that's something that does concern me a little bit, especially with the World Cup being over a year from now. That's a fair. If they have a flaw, that's definitely a fair flaw to point out. Like they're not going to get any younger, but to their, their to their defense. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem like age has really affected them. Cellini tore his ACL a year ago, True. a year and a half ago, and came back and, and won the Euro. So they, it, it, I, I'm scared to doubt them. I'm just scared to doubt them. But Italy does have some 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 nice players coming through. I, I don't think anyone on the level of a Cellini or, or a, a, a Bonucci, but they definitely have uh, some defenders on the pipeline. So. I, I'd be scared to doubt them. I, I think the only one who can really say has an equal chance, or if not more, would be the defending champs, France. Because they'll be with Benzema and, and Mbappe again. And it'll be yeah. tough to, to, with more chemistry due to the qualifiers. So, yeah, they, uh, they, they're always scary. And, of course, the South, the South American teams, the Brazil and Argentina, they have so much talent. But, yeah, it's, it'd be tough to... Uh, It'd be tough to knock Italy off. I think they're my favorite for sure. Very early favorites, yeah, no doubt about that. Extremely early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extremely early, but they've earned it. They've yeah. earned it based on this tournament that that they played in, and they were a lot of fun to watch. Anything else you want to add about about Italy, about England, uh, the final itself? Uh, well, I'm gonna answer my own question. The crowd. The fans inside the stadium in the final, at first it threw me off because I'm like, aren't we supposed to be like all far apart from each other? But then I'm like, oh, no, well, it looks like everything has all restrictions have been lifted over there. And it was a zoo at Wembley. I can't even imagine what it was like. Something that I love about Wembley is that when England scores or whoever the home team is at, the, at that game, at that particular game or whatever, I love how much the camera shakes. I don't know why. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's so cool. When Luke Shaw scored, I've never seen a camera shake as much as that. But the, the, the shot of Luke Shaw 
celebrating and he was almost like running towards the camera that's kind of what it looked like as soon as he scored they cut to that and the camera was just like this and i'm like oh my god that place must be going bonkers unbelievable it was great to have fans at the euro 2020 final but yeah if you want to add anything else go ahead no i echo that it was just a very it was awesome it was all it was awesome in, in in its own right and then very sad in, in another but yeah it's i, I want to choose to stay positive and just focus on you know the parts that made us uh happy to have fans there again and, and it was it was a fun game it was it was it's been a while and it went to yeah. penalties Oof. uh it, it was the type of moment i i, I was with my family i, I grabbed my, my nephews i was like come and see this because even though they, they wouldn't remember this in that moment they're going to be older and be like, hey, I saw Italy win in a penalty shootout. Yes. So, I, so, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those situations. It was where were you? So, yeah, it was it was fun. Well, that, that's so cool that you mentioned that, that, that you were with with your little nephews and you were kind of like bringing them on to this universe that we live in, because I did something similar. I was with my girlfriend's little brother and we watched pretty much the whole game together. And after a while, he was he was very invested, and we watched the penalty shootout. Shout out to Ethan. I know he's probably watching this. Ethan, you're awesome, dude. Um, he was so invested in in the game, and he, I think he loved every second of it. I was explaining what was going on and stuff like that. He loved it. It's pretty cool that we did similar things, and hopefully, we created new fans. And and this is the moment where they're like, yeah, that's where I became a fan. That's that's cool. So we're going to pat ourselves on the back for that <laughs> one. All right. Let's move on now. Let's talk about the what, what do they call them in high school? The, the the it's like the awards, but they have like the superlatives, something like that. I don't know. Um, I could just be making this word up for all I know. Um, let's, <laughs> the awards of the tournament. We're going to talk about the goal of the tournament. The surprise of the tournament, and let me explain a little bit. Surprise, either surprise team, surprise player, surprise event, surprise result. All Anything goes. And we're, of course, going to talk about our player of the tournament. Let's start off with the goal of the tournament. Chris, which one? We had so many bangers in Euro 2020. Which one do you think was the best one of the tournament? I think the one that would be where people are going to remember, like the standout goal is going to be Patrick Schicks. Mm-hmm. That goal was just ridiculous. He scored it from the other side of the field, essentially. <laughs> and if you look at that shot, it's going to be a memorable shot. It's it's the the, the ball after he's kicked, it's, and it's essentially out, almost out of the picture. And it's like someday I'm going to tell my kid this this is goal. This not only was uh, a shot that was on goal, but uh, a goal. And it's like an, an insane angle. So yeah, I think that's the that's definitely the shot, the 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 goal that's gonna be remembered. It's it was an amazing goal, and it was I know it was a lot of people's favorites. My personal favorite was Kevin De Bruyne, but yeah, that that goal by Patrick Schick was just so so sick. It's so memorable. Yeah, that's that's the goal for me. That's that's the best goal of the tournament, but. I I want to give praise to Mikael Damsgaard's goal against England. That free kick. Yes, you can blame it on Jordan Pickford. 
But that was such a beautiful free kick. The first and only free kick scored in the tournament. I think it has to be up there. But yeah, Patrick Schick's goal takes the cake. That that, that one, I, I kind of knew it was going to be a wash. Um, all right, let's move on now. Surprise of the tournament. I have no notes for this, so this might take me a little bit. Do you have your surprise of the tournament already? Uh, mine was the form of the Danish national team. Mm-hmm. The Denmark, I think, is a real force to be reckoned with. They, I, they, I, I thought that they were a solid team, someone who could give most teams problems. I think they proved to be more than that this tournament. And they're definitely one of the, the not like Italy, in which they were the, the favorite or a heavy favorite, but they're one of the top dogs in this upcoming World Cup. And anyone who gets uh, drawn with, with Denmark is going to be real, really upset, really uh, searching for answers because they really have a lot of uh, talent and a lot of quality all over that team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. They're, they're very difficult to, to play against. I remember they played against Mexico before the 2018 World Cup, they, and they beat the crap out of Mexico. They were just so much bigger, so much quicker than the Mexicans and I'm like, oh well this team is this team is pretty good. And then you fast forward three years and you see them going all the way to a semifinal in the, in the Euro. And it's not a coincidence. They have a really, really good team and, and they they have a well balanced team. They they have three towers in defense. And of course in, in goal they have uh one of the best keepers in the world and Casper Schmeichel, uh, a true leader. And, and someone that is almost made for adversity because he just handles it so well. But, yeah, that run of form that, that the Danish had was was very, very impressive and, and definitely surprising. Definitely surprising, I, I, I will say that. Mm, okay, I, I, am, I am stuck with two surprises. The first one is the French elimination in the round of 16. Yeah, that's a good one. That one really shocked me. But something that also shocked me or, or surprised me was how good Pedri was throughout the tournament and how much he played. He played every minute that Spain played. He he wasn't subbed off at all. He played. And that that is surprising, but I I don't think it's as surprising as France being knocked out by Switzerland. There are so there there were so many shocking moments in that game because they lose a 3-1 lead. Well, first of all, they were down one nothing. Then they lose a 3-1 lead. And they lose in penalties. Kylian Mbappe misses the penalty. And and then you just start to see how everything is is beginning to to break apart or that's what they're telling us. Uh Adrian Rabio's mother being involved in in certain things. I saw a video not too long ago of Rabio's mom yelling at killing Mbappe's family after Mbappe missed the penalty, the the decisive penalty against Switzerland. And the, to be fair, Mbappe's family kind of just like turned around, saw who it was, and they're like, all right, well, let's not pay attention to her. But that was incredibly shocking, of course, the, the result itself and then everything that came with it. It's, it's like, oh, my God, it's a little bit of adversity and everything starts to break up, break apart. That's crazy. They were world champions just three years ago. And now they, they are eliminated by, by, by Switzerland in a penalty shootout. I guess this also tells us how competitive this sport really is. Uh, but, but that, that shocked me 
greatly seeing seeing France exit this tournament so early. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very that's probably the the, the smart choice and the right choice is France's elimination because I had them I had them winning it all. Mm-hmm. I think you yeah. had them up there, and then after I think after your my reason, you had them winning it all too. Yeah, like I, I, they they look so good. They 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 have so much quality. They just added Kareem King King Kareem Benzema. <laughs> so how do you do? You know how do you how do you go against that? But they 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 got outplayed. They got outplayed. Who, who took them? Out? It was Switzerland, right? Switzerland, Switzerland took them out. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, took them out on penalties and and had the lead three one after eighty minutes. Like, how do you how do you give it up like that? And if if they're that soft to give it up to Switzerland, yeah, <laughs> they they can give it up. That like they have they 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 showed their weakness, like you said, they showed their hand. So they're vulnerable, and 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 I think that it should it goes it it just goes to show that the the uh, the upcoming World Cup is pretty open. I know, like yeah. you said, it's a year and a half away, and I keep referring to it, but that's the next major tournament, and it's 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 gonna be exciting. It's in the winter. It's it's, it's in Qatar, so yeah, it's gonna be it's it's the the next focus. Everybody's already thinking: Is England gonna win that? So yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens with France if they're gonna continue with Didier Deschamps. I obviously I think they will because he, he yeah, definitely deserves to. another run. Yeah, but if if they crash out early, I suspect they might make a move maybe go to Zinedine Zidane but yeah it's a it's a very safe and smart choice France's elimination was just very baffling and with the best player in the world and as he was coming up to take the penalty I I thought like yeah he's probably gonna miss this I don't know why Mm -hmm. I just felt it but yeah he uh he's the best player in the world and probably the, the the was the front runner for the balloon d'or at the time so surprising yeah it happens to to the best it happens to the best and and it had to happen to him and based on the on the player that that we know that he is he's probably going to come back stronger um it i i doubt this will be a down a downfall for him or or a or a moment in which we look back and say wow this is where it all fell apart for killing mbappe if anything that this might be where where he he rises up and thrives and becomes even better if that's if that's possible. Um, I'm I'm gonna add a little wrinkle to to this to this segment, and I want to talk about our favorite moments or our favorite moment of Euro 2020. Um, you didn't know about this. I didn't know about this either. I just came up with this on the spot. What was your favorite moment? Of this tournament, I know it's hard because there's a lot of very fun, exciting, emotional moments. But if you had to pick one, which one would it be? That's a tough question. That's a tough question. I'm all about the tough questions, man. Yeah, there's a lot of very close results. So it made it for a very memorable Euro. Man. What about that hectic Monday? What was the hectic Monday? Uh, Croatia, Spain, Switzerland. Uh, France, Switzerland, Croatia, Spain. Yeah, that'd probably be it. That was probably the the, the craziest day of all of it. France losing to Switzerland was being and being eliminated was amazing. Was unbelievable. 
And then Spain coming back and showing us that they really had that, that run in them was crazy too. So that would probably be it. Yeah, that was... What a way to start the week, huh? The, that week. <laughs> Croatia and uh, Croatia and Spain. What a game that was. France, Switzerland, we just talked about it. That that was that was insane. That was crazy. Um, just, I, I want to pick something different because I don't want to just agree on this. Um... But yeah, that was that was just crazy. It it, it was a a crazy crazy moment. But uh, okay. The penalty shootout in the final. Yeah, but I don't I don't want to pick that as as like my absolute favorite. I I think that I can I I can pick something something different. Um. Actually, I don't know if I can pick something different. Oh, um, I'm going to pick Italy versus Austria. Because Italy and Austria showed me that Italy can win in different ways. That game was incredibly entertaining. Austria was on the brink of, of achieving something big had Marco Arnautovic not been offside. And it went to extra time, and in extra time, Italy solved their problems, and it was it, it was of course an emotional game because it was at Wembley too, and there was a lot of Italian fans. That that one was one of my favorite games, of course, and and I think that that whole round of sixteen was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It was so much fun. Um, but you know what? Screw that. That's not my favorite moment. Um, Italy, Spain, <laughs> Italy, Spain, that, okay, that is the game that you show a person that isn't into this sport. You, you sit them down and you say, okay, I hope you have about 140 minutes to spare because you're going to watch every second of this game. You're going to watch every second of this game and you're going to absorb all the emotion and everything that's going on. And and all all the tactical moves. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll talk you through that. That game was so intense. Every minute of that game was intense. I also liked it because I saw vintage Sergio Busquets, and you know, I mean, kind of shows right here with the jersey that I'm wearing. That game was so incredible. It was such a good game, and good thing I have it recorded. I have it on my DVR because probably later this week or next week. We're, I'm, I'm going to sit down and watch it again because it was that good. It was so much fun. And it it showed everything. It, it showed the highs and the lows when you talk about Morata. It, it talks about the the emotion and, and all the anxiety of being in a penalty shootout, the intensity of being in a direct elimination game where one mistake ends your campaign. Italy, Spain, by far. Or, or not by far, but definitely one of my favorite games probably ever. Yeah, it's, it was definitely a fun one for sure. Um, watching Morata have his comeback was very surprising. First of all, Chiesa's goal was sick. Oh, yes. Sick. And then uh, about Morata having his moment and, and showing people his quality. It was very fun, very unexpected, very fun game. <laughs> Went into extras and then he had his moment where he, he missed it again. I mean, and then Jorginho showed everybody his his mentality. So, yeah, it was very fun. Very fun game. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's finish it off. Player of the tournament. Who's your player of the tournament, Chris? Oof. Player of the tournament. I would have to go. It's tough not to give it to my boy, man. It's really tough not to give it to my boy, Jorginho. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go Jorginho. Okay. Player, yeah, player of the tournament. He was uh, a conductor in that midfield that dominated the tournament. Um, they, they held possession most of the games that they played. If they didn't, they were very much in control. Uh, they, they, they did against Spain. Obviously, they didn't have the possession, but they were very much in control in that game. If 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 they were behind, they were they were very much in control, and he does so much off the ball that he he's very underappreciated, and and you can see what he does for for both Chelsea and for Italy. He's very very valuable. He's very intelligent. Yeah. With the the, the, the tactical side of of the game, and he's a pleasure to watch. I think he's a very tough. He's a top player, and he has a tough mentality. So, for me, I think that would be. That's the player of the tournament. It might be an unpopular choice, but that's what I'm going to give it to. No, I I don't think it's very unpopular. I, I think that's a very very good shout. Um, I, as I was watching the the final, I wrote on my notes that Jorginho is incredibly vocal. Uh, I I remember they cut to him right after England scored, and he was talking to his teammates, and then. There was a lot of moments throughout the game in which he was telling his teammates where to go, when to press. And I remember this one almost vividly. It was like halfway through the first half, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he, he tells Federico Chiesa to go and press on a free kick. Um, and and it was, it's just stuff like that. He, does, he, he conducts everything so well. So that is an incredibly good shout by you. Um, anything else you want to add about your boy, Jorginho? No, I, uh, I'm looking forward to see him in, in, in my club next season. And yeah, he's, he, he was a very, he, I think he shut a lot of people up. A lot of people were saying he was a defensive liability. He had, I think he had the most tackles and the most interceptions in the tournament. He was, he was a very influential player for a very entertaining possession-based side. So I don't know what else you can ask for. He's a very modern midfielder. Maybe mm -hmm. he has his laps in judgment sometimes, but a lot of players do. Uh, you even see that from the Paul Pogba's in the world. So, it's, I mean, I think he has his critics because he uh, he came in with Mauricio Sarri at Chelsea and a lot of people, you know, use him as a scapegoat. And they, and they take that to his Italian national team form as well. But he's a very, very fine player, very classy player. Yeah, he, he really is. And it's something about him wearing blue that just makes him play that much better. Because um, he played for Napoli, then he played for Chelsea, and he plays for the Italian national team. So he just wears blue all the time. Um, yeah, good shout. Good shout by you, Chris. Um, I'm going to stay with Italy. And I'm going to pick Leonardo Spinazzola as my player of the tournament. Although... He didn't play the semifinal or the final. I think he, he was shining with his absence because Emerson is not the same player. Leonardo Spinazzola is just up and down all the time. Emerson is a little more, more attacking. And, of course, it's, it's hard to fit in immediately when Leonardo Spinazzola and Lorenzo Insigne were, were just playing off a of memory throughout the entire tournament. And, and Emerson wasn't. He, he was just plugged in 
because Spinazzola was hurt, which of course is very, very unfortunate. And as I was watching Italy against Belgium, uh, obviously before he actually got he actually got hurt, I wrote on my notes, off day for Spinazzola question mark. I wrote that early in the first half. Uh, close to the 45-minute marker, I just wrote next to that note, I wrote LOL. <laughs> because suddenly, I don't know if you read my notes, obviously not. He became, he became like, it just looked like a bullet was going back and forth. And and, and uh, down that left Italian side, uh, the, the defensive right side for Belgium. And that's what he was doing all tournament. He was doing that all tournament. It's it was impossible to stop because he was so good defensively. He was so good attacking. Um, he he he's, at, at times he was the highest player on that Italian team. He was the one that was the, that was pressing the highest for Italy, and at times he was making goal line clearances all in a span of like two or three minutes. It's the it, it's really what Leonardo Spinazzola was doing and what a tournament he had. It's a shame that we couldn't see him in the semifinal, a shame that we couldn't see him in the final. But surely, um, I just remember that he's going to be managed by Jose Mourinho, so he's not going to be making those runs, is he? He's not going to be making those runs. Uh, damn. Please hand in your, your trade request, Spinazzola, please. Uh, but yeah, Spinazzola, my, my player of the tournament. Yeah, I think that's a very, very uh, fair shot as well. He's he was playing in the form of his life. I thought I thought I think I said this previously. I thought he was a fine player. I didn't think he was at this mm -hmm. level. I thought he's very, very high, uh, a very classy player as well. He uh, showed a lot in the attacking sense. Was overlapping beautifully with Insigne the whole tournament. Uh, showed that he he could put in a tackle as well. He could put in a shift defensively. So I think he was playing. He's playing as a left mid at Roma, a little bit forward, a little bit further forward, which is great for him because he can make those those runs and be, be uh, protected defensively. But if he was playing that well at left back for Italy, I don't see why he wouldn't play for left back for for Mourinho because Mourinho is a very uh, he, he's going to give up possession. So Spinazzola might be able to, uh, to 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 drive up the flank in in a way that. Uh, could make the, the, the counterattack successful, but that, that'll be way down the line when he comes back from injury. It's all hypothetical. Maybe Mourinho doesn't even like him because you can see Mourinho has problems with certain players, but that'll be for another podcast because we could talk about that all day. Yeah, um, we're, we're probably going to talk about that next year because Spinazzola, he's, he's going to be out for, for a bit. Yeah. Um, all right. But yeah, I think it's a very fair, very fair pick with Spinazzola. He's a very good player. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that'll do it. That'll do it. Euro 2020 coverage is is over. What a tournament this was. Copa America, of course. Um, if I if I don't talk about Lionel Messi winning his first international tournament with with Argentina, I think I will explode. So I know he's not watching, but regardless, congratulations to the best player that I have ever seen in my almost 23 years of existence. Um, this man has provided so much happiness to my life. And I know it sounds pathetic, but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to say it. Um, the best player I have ever seen. Uh, they talked to me about Pele, Maradona, Zidane. I was too young 
for for Zidane. They talk to me about Figo. They talk to me about all of these players. But to me, Messi is the player that I'm going to talk to my kids about. That that that's that's the guy that I'm going to to mention and that I'm going to reference all the time. Um, so yeah, uh, that's it. Euro 2020 in the books. Copa America in the books, and this pod almost in the books. We will be gone for two weeks. Our next episode will be up. Let me check the calendar. I don't want to mess this up because I said it before. The 27th. So July 27th, we will be back with a new episode. Probably going to talk about transfers. We're going to talk about the the new season, maybe some friendlies. There's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. Chris, thank you so, so much. You are a warrior, my friend, because you are you are doing this with 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 a child that you're taking care of along with with your girlfriend of course but you you were there you you put up with with a lot of stuff and even though those things uh were of course more important you you still made time for this you made time for this and i really appreciate that thank you so much the floor is yours my friend plug away whatever you have to no, yeah, I just want to say it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Alex. Don't worry, it's it's awesome to be uh, uh, having these these uh, episodes with you. And yeah, uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Chris S O L O D O L O underscore. There you go. The pleasure is all mine, my friend. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Alex Perez FC. Follow the show at Total Foot Club on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Give us a review that always goes a long way. We are almost at a thousand downloads all time. So of course, if uh, by downloads, we mean plays. Downloads is a term from like 10 years ago when podcasting was like just becoming a thing, but it kind of just stuck with me. So I don't know. All right. Well, you won't hear us for the next couple of weeks, but we will always be thinking about you all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us in this incredible journey that was Euro 2020 and Copa America 2021. We will see you soon. Take care. Goodbye. <laughs>